Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Today, we are going to be talking about the woods and why it's very scary. We have reasons why we think they're scary, scientific reasons why the woods are scary, (laughs) and then a couple tales from the woods. Yeah, I am very excited. This is a plentiful topic. It was definitely hard to narrow it down to a few, but I think that we have a good little set today. I think so. Yeah. So we're going to start out with why we are personally afraid of the woods. (laughs) And we each wrote these separately without looking at the scientific reason first. And I think we were pretty on par with each other, right? I think so. Yeah. I actually like going and staying in cabins in the woods. Mm -hmm. But also when I'm there at night, I'm like, well, I'm going to die, right? Yeah. So (laughs) you can't see what's coming towards you, right? There's just too much open area. And I feel like you can't watch all of it at once. When you're in the city, you're like, oh, I know there's a building there. There's something to stop someone from coming behind me here. But in the woods, that's not going to happen. Can I just real just real quick? I'm just going to ruin you a touch. That's not true. There being more people around actually doesn't make it more safe. It's not more people. I said buildings. Oh, you think? Okay. There's physical barriers to get to you is what you mean. Okay. Yes. Yes. So I can put my back to a building and then I can, you know, watch. Yeah, I see. The woods, you can't really do that. You could do a tree, but still it's not as big as a building. That doesn't feel safe. You can lay on the ground, I guess. (laughs) It's not really the same either, though. So you can easily get lost and I can easily get lost anywhere. The Blair Witch, I know she doesn't technically exist, but in my soul, she exists. I understand. She hits you during a formative point in your life and therefore she exists in the woods. Absolutely. And when that movie first came out, we had gone camping afterwards and children watching the Blair Witch should not be going camping after. We made the stick Blair Witch symbols. Lindsay actually sent me a beautiful Blair Witch stick symbol. (laughs) That is in my room currently. (laughs) But we woke up and there were rock piles around our camp. Mm -hmm. Our parents did it to be rude, but it's terrifying. So the Blair Witch, she exists in my head. Can I just say like, look, I'm going to interrupt you like a thousand times. I'm so sorry. That's fine. Do it. Okay. So Blair Witch is set in Burkittsville, Maryland, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So it was 1999, which meant I was 12 and still in Girl Scouts because I did Girl Scouts from like Daisy's to Seniors, the whole thing. And we went camping in Burkittsville like right after the movie came out. And like I had seen it. That's way better. That's way better. Was it? Was it way better? Because yeah. We were staying in like woods in Burkittsville. And I remember being like, I'm pretty sure it's not real, but it could be real, you know? And we, it's pretty close to Harper's Ferry. And so on our way into Harper's Ferry, there was like this very elderly, quintessential movie, old woman who looked like a witch. And she was selling the little like stick figures on her front porch. Love it. And in my brain, I've like told myself a story that there was these little things hanging from the trees when we woke up one morning, but I cannot guarantee that that actually happened or if my child brain just overlapped the movie and the campground experience. But it was a treehouse camp, which did make it a little bit cooler and feel a little bit safer. Lindsay has promised when I go to visit her, we will be going. Yes, we absolutely will be because (laughs) treehouses and Blair Witch and this will be past cicada season, which we're officially in, by the way. So that's another added topic to your why you're afraid of the woods, right? The cicadas. Yeah, let me let me add that to mine. Cicadas. So I already said that I get lost very easily, but in the woods, GPS will fail and you will live in the woods forever. So it's too quiet. And so when things are quiet, then you hear the creepy noises more. Typically, you are pretty far away from help if something did happen. They can have deadly animals, which I love animals. I'm okay with the deadly ones, but I also want to be able to get away from a deadly animal if need be. When it's too dark at night, you can't see what's coming close to you. And then also, I feel like we are taught pretty early on to be freaked out by the forest, right? Think of things like Little Red Riding Hood. Think of even Beauty and the Beast, right? A Disney movie when she's running through the woods to get back and it's terrifying. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And then the wolves. Yeah. 
there's much more examples, but those are the two. Yeah, those came to my head first. So what about you, Lindsay? Why are you afraid of the woods? Okay, so I think in part, it's the general sense of the unknown is that something could be in a tree, something could be behind a tree. Just like you were saying, like, you can't really see and there's too much space for you to survey quickly. So like as a person who is a suburb mouse, I'm neither city mouse nor country mouse. I'm suburb mouse. I don't think that I would be quick enough to be able to like react to danger. And then also there's this sense of timelessness when you're in the woods where you kind of can't get a feeling for how long you've been there if you don't have a watch. Because if the trees are really dense, it's dark. It's not like dark, dark, but it's certainly you can't see where the sun is. Yeah, you can't see where the sun is and you can't see where the sun is in relation to when you went in. So that's a little bit unnerving. It's also, you know, I'm so used to civilization that going into a place that is uncharted that I don't know is really unnerving. I don't even like to drive places I haven't been. It makes me very anxious. So going into the woods where, just like you said, there's no GPS, it's not going to work. I don't like the sense of not being in control. Yeah. That makes me very unnerved. And because everything looks kind of the same, it's pretty easy to get lost. And then it's pretty easy to just walk in circles and not know you are. Mm -hmm. Like the Blair Witch. Like the Blair Witch. It all comes back to her. It all does come back to her. And also, I mean, there are, I feel like one of the biggest tropes in horror is like things happening in the woods. It's just a part of it. It's a scene for many a horror movie. So it just feels like you're in that setting. And then as I mentioned, and that you reminded me, cicadas, because cicadas, they nest near the base of trees. So cicada time. I'm wiggling my fingers at Amanda. Lindsay's soul has been dying a little. Yeah, they're here. I don't like it. She also doesn't leave the house now. Look, I took my cat to the groomer. I've blessed many people with the photos of Lenore post haircut. But on my way into the groomer, there was like 30 of them on the sidewalk. And I was like, I had like crazy eyes. And I think the woman that was like standing out front thought that I thought that they were just like roaches. And she's like, they're just cicadas. And in my head, I'm like, bitch, I know. Like, I know. Just? Yeah, like, just? You thought it was okay to say just? Well, like, also, are you familiar with cicadas, truly, other than me fucking talking with them all the time now? We have some, but they're nothing like what you describe. They're not, probably. But have you seen when they shed their exoskeleton type thing? When they're that, like, white thing? When they're just, like, unsheathed and naked in the world? It's extra weird. And I was reading an article about how there is a fungus that's killing them. And it's making them rot from the inside out. Sad. And their butts fall off. Look, should I be happy about this? No, but it means that in 17 years, the next brood isn't going to be as monstrous because there'll have been less of them. But I also found out, like, I knew that people ate them and I don't like that. But I didn't realize that people call them tree shrimp. And now that's something you have to know. I don't like that. No. Well, now you know. You know what exoskeleton was found in my neighborhood last year? A tarantula. Amanda, you live in the islands in Animal Crossing. The scorpion and tarantula ones. You live there. I do. That's the topic (laughs) of today now is how scary it is to live here. (laughs) Is that not the topic of every episode? (laughs) Me trying to get you to move to Maryland. That's actually like the subtext of every single episode. One day, if we ever end, it has to end with you moving to Maryland. So there's like a full story arc. Perfect. You're not selling it much with the cicadas. Right. Well, anyways, back to the woods. (laughs) We did ask listeners what the scariest thing they can encounter in the woods would be. And the answers were perfect. Amazing. The first person said another person. I'm not scared of nature. I'm scared of other people. Which fair. Second one, a white man. Fair. Three, any kind of random cabin with no road or driveway. That definitely is a murder cabin. Yeah, I don't like that. Deer clear. All right. The fourth, fresh bear poo. Last time we went hiking in the forest, we saw bear tracks and bear poop. That's alarming. Five, (laughs) a Yeti on stairs to nowhere. And we will talk about the stairs to nowhere. Yeah. Because that is unsettling. And a Yeti on it blows my mind. And then the last one, I think my favorite... Uncle Jake coming back from a night on the town. Perfect. So you may have heard us talk about it before. We're going to mention again right now. We have a Patreon. 
one of the wonderful perks of being a part of our Patreon is you get to be a part of the Bat Bonfire, which is our Patreon-only Facebook group. We asked our Patreon members, what's the scariest thing that they personally have encountered in the woods? And so we got two different stories. The first is from Ben, who is my husband. (laughs) And this is what he said. Well, there's a place in Florida that is known as like a spiritual camp. It's called Casadega. Anyhow, I was there one day and I can't remember with who. And it was a weekday. And at one point, these kids, like a gaggle of them, were walking down the street and they were all wearing old timey clothes and should have been in school. Next, we walked off the road and into some woods. And as we walked further, I noticed the ground was turning pink under the pine needles and such. So I stopped and looked around and it was everywhere. And when I bent down and touched it, it was clear it was part of like the earth and ground. That's weird. I've never heard of pink ground. I also have not heard of pink ground. And I remember we've stopped in Casadega before when we were visiting his mom because it's kind of close to where it is, where she lives. And he told me that and I was immediately like Googling like pink ground Casadega. And I couldn't find any other stories where anybody else had seen something similar. Yeah. The only thing that I could think of is maybe it was something like a fungus that was covering the ground. When you Google pink fungus, nothing really comes up. I know that one of the things that I saw just researching was like this beautiful bright blue fungus that was like covering a tree trunk. But even that was like on a thing in the woods. It wasn't like the entire forest ground. And the next story comes from Chloe, who said, there's a wood near my hometown and where I have recently moved back to where there is a pole that if you touch it, you get an instant hangover. That's terrifying. And I don't like it. And it's super weird. Yeah, it is very weird. It kind of reminds me of like the weird monolith. Yeah. I know that they didn't really do anything to people, but still like it's kind of creepy to see a random thing in the forest that doesn't belong, right? In any situation. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And we'll get to it in a moment. But like when you see things in the forest where it's a clear juxtaposition of a thing that belongs in civilization that exists in the middle of the forest without context, it's unnerving because it doesn't belong. Right. So let's talk about why we are afraid and the scientific reason, right? There is a couple phobias and the first one's called xelophobia and it's also known as hylophobia and it is the irrational fear of wooded areas. And in one of the articles, it talked about why a human brain would be afraid of something simple as the woods. And they said it's the fear of the unknown that can contribute to someone having anxiety while in the forest. Modern society doesn't provide a lot of opportunity to come back to nature. So many people that are not acclimated with areas like the forest seem to have anxiety when they enter it because there's strange sounds, strange smells, and even textures that they're not used to. Also, animal noises or no noise at all can make some people feel uneasy again, because they're not used to it. In addition to that, wild plants are different from plants that you see typically at home. And also, some of them have the ability to kill you or hurt you. Yeah. And then some other people get anxiety from walking through different things like grass, mud, or different textures because it's different from roads and sidewalks. In my opinion, it's because you can't see what's coming. Think of like if you're walking through tall grass or mud, you don't know what's there. And I come to like snakes and things like that that can be hiding or weird bugs. Yeah. Leeches, whatever it may be in some of the waters. Not a fan. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that Amanda and I both talked about in our fears was this idea that like you can't see if something's coming towards you. And so one of the things that I always feel like when I get creeped out in the woods, I always feel like I'm being watched. Do you feel a similar feeling? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I looked at was what is the feeling of being watched? What is that? Because like a ghost a ghost. Well, it could be because I feel like most people have had the experience where they're not looking directly at a person, but they can feel someone's eyes on them. And it's a highly unsettling feeling. There's a few different studies that talk about it. And so in 2013, there was a case study of a patient that was identified as TN and they were blind, but their eyes still sent information to their brain. So it was still processing it. And so basically like They showed him pictures and in the pictures, there was people either looking directly at him or looking to the side and they measured responses in his amygdala, which is the area of the brain that processes threat and arousal. And so although he's looking at a picture and cannot know what's there, his brain is still processing the information. So when he looked at pictures of someone looking directly at him, it would spike. And when the photo showed somebody looking off, it wouldn't spike. 
So what that suggests is that because we're not conscious of a stimuli looking at us, it doesn't mean it's not happening. It could be that your eyes are picking up on it, which I was like, that's fascinating. And also, just generally, when you think of humans compared to other species, there's something really unique about the way our eyes look. And it's that we have a lot of sclera, which is the white part of your eye. So it's a little bit easier to see and pick up on where someone's looking. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean that they're focusing because like I can't tell you how many times I've been out in public and I've just been like staring off and then just spaced out. And then it turns out I've been actually staring at someone (laughs) and I'm like, whoopsies. But your brain can process that very quickly. So that's one reason why it feels like somebody might be looking at you. And that's because they are. Interesting. Yeah. And so there's another doctor, his name's Edward Titcher, and he was a psychologist. And in 1898, so a long time ago, he published The Feeling of Being Stared At. (laughs) Very on the nose. Spot on. And he suggested that that tingling feeling that you get when you think that someone's focusing on you is just in your imagination. And from how I understand it, he replicated like a person staring at their own arm for a long period of time and it would mimic the feeling. Or if they told them someone was staring, but nobody was staring, still have a feeling, but nobody was. And so another interesting and more recent study was from Isabel Marshall. And she had an article titled, Humans Have an Expectation That Gaze Is Directed Towards Them. These are the most spot on names ever. And so her study found that when an individual is aware that a person is looking in their general direction, right? Like say someone's face towards you. Mm -hmm. If you can't see where their eyes are, you will automatically assume that they are looking at you. Yeah, that's fair. So say they have sunglasses on or their eyes are obscured in some way then you can't tell, you automatically assume. So that makes sense that you're like, this thing that I can't see, I assume is looking at me. But you don't know that there's a thing. You don't. But also, look, I'm a scaredy cat sometimes, a lot of the time. My imagination will do somersaults into like, there's a person in the woods. There's a creature in the woods. I'm already starting there. So for me, it makes sense that there's that jump to, and they're looking at me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's talk about a few reasons why the forest is scary just generally. And Amanda talked about a little bit about before, woodland creatures like bears, snakes, Just things that can kill you, especially when you think of foreign vegetation, like mushrooms, for example. Some of them can literally kill you if you eat them, but they look like species that you're used to eating, like button mushrooms. So you could think it was a safe thing to eat, and it's not. Yeah, I don't think I'd want to just eat anything that I found in the forest. And that's also probably an issue, too, because if you can't bring food or find food. Yeah, I know. Exactly. I think maybe that's part of it for me, too, is that I'm like, I could not survive out here. No. I would be like... I am going to die. Look, I read Hatchet. They poisoned themselves on accident. I read about mushrooms for this. And I was like, we didn't include it in our long outline. But I was like, I know seven deadly mushrooms now and what they do to you. And it's not fun. Good thing I don't like mushrooms. (laughs) I love them. They're delicious. But I'm a little bit more suspect of where they come from now. So there's two kind of interesting pieces of, I would say, contemporary folklore, for lack of a better description. That's perfect. And it's kind of two rumors. The first, and follow me here, because look, I watch TikTok before bed. It brings me joy and happiness, and I'm going to keep doing it. But I was like, just scrolling, doing my thing. And here comes a video talking about that there's feral people with cannibalistic tendencies living in national parks. And let's all take a moment to like sink that in. Feral people cannibals national parks it's a lot and how many people go missing and how many people go missing many she sent me this video pretty quick yeah i was like i was shook and so i saw it on tiktok as i mentioned and i was like i need to find something credible on this like something other than a person making a tiktok who wants to get views and i could not find anything other than articles about the tiktoks yeah And it's completely possible that there's regional lore in her stories or anecdotal evidence of this. Or maybe one case somewhere long ago. Yeah, but I certainly couldn't find a trend. Me either. But if you, dear listener, know of something, please, I need to know. Please send it to me. I would love to know this. And then so that's one. So the other is stairs in the forest. The pictures, when you really look at them, look a little bit doctored, which is very disappointing because I was like, forest stairs. I was very excited about that, too, because surprise, surprise, I found out about it in a TikTok. But so from everything I saw, 
The stories and lore began with the search and rescue officers' accounts of stairs in the forest and what they and their colleagues had encountered on the No Sleep Reddit. And if you're familiar with the No Sleep Reddit, that's fiction, correct? Mm-hmm. But if you are not familiar with Reddit and that particular thread, you might read this and hear search and rescue officer. This looks legit. Yeah. And then think that it's real. And so supposedly they're made of different materials like brick, wood, stone. Some are old and ruin like and some look fresh. Some are miles and miles into the forest. And there's reports of them in several countries, including the United States, Brazil, Portugal, the Philippines, and Germany. Now, what's interesting in this is that when people talk about this, generally what they're like really meaning with the lore, as far as I can see, is sets of stairs that exist independent of a structure and have always existed independent of a structure. And when you look at a lot of photos, it's really clear that they're ruins like they were part of a structure that once existed, that maybe they were or that they were stairs that were built into the land to make it easier to like get to a hill or something like that. Or that they're like really old stairs that were wooden or stone that were in a house that has since like deteriorated over time and that they're super, super old. And it's like, you know, a wooden house without treated wood that's 300 years old, probably not going to last a long time. Right. No. And so that's what I thought was interesting. Well, when I thought of forest stairs, the first time you had sent me that they were a thing. I don't know if you've ever watched it, but have you heard of the show Channel Zero? I have not. So Channel Zero did one of their episodes, and it's been a long time since I've actually watched it. But one of their episodes had a staircase in the woods. I do recommend watching it. Well, and it's not that like, I'm not saying that it's impossible for a staircase in the woods to exist, but the original like TikToks and like excitement about this was that they were plentiful and that this was a common thing that you could find in U.S. national parks, possibly all over the world. But this was really more about U.S. national parks and that they had been there and nobody knows where they're from or nobody knows what they are. But like a lot of the stairs that are there, it's ruins. It's part of something that's like made to get to a different part of the woods or it's part of an old structure but so people who talk about so some of the things that i saw when reading people who said they had experienced stairs in the woods even if that were part of ruins part of an old structure and they had a reason that they existed there they said there was a general feeling of unease around them that you should not climb them you shouldn't even touch them and that there might be a portal at the top of the stairs but that usually that portal would require a specific type of key so you couldn't accidentally go through this portal, which I found fascinating. But I feel like you you often hear like new parts of like contemporary lore. I think another example would be Slenderman. Mm-hmm. But this was like it, it came on quickly and people were talking about it like this was an actual real fact. And the first few things I looked at made it very much look like fact. And then I was like, wait a second. Yeah. What part of this is me wanting something spooky? <laughs> it is spooky because you don't understand why. But also it's it's just stairs. Yeah. Just it's the setting that makes them so creepy. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like the juxtaposition of something that doesn't belong in the woods being in the woods. It's the same thing. Like, have you ever you live in the desert? So I would imagine not when you did not live in a desert in your lifetime. Mm -hmm. Have you ever walked by wooded areas and seen things that don't belong in there? Not entirely. I do have a slightly creepy story. Still don't know why it happened, but no, not not entirely. No. Where I live, there's a lot of areas that are just like partially wooded. It's just like a little dot of woods. And there's one area where if you're like walking on the street, you can kind of like look down and it's a really steep hill. You couldn't walk down it from like the street. You would have to come a different way. Yeah. And you look at the bottom of the hill. One day I was like looking down and there was a couch and two dinner tables and like a trunk. Weird. Did you join them for dinner? I absolutely did not join them for dinner. But I had me, I was like, move sit down because I need to like gaze upon this. And I like I stared at it for like a good few minutes, like taking it in being like, what is happening down there? How did that couch get there? Who's sitting on a couch in the woods? Fair. Last time we went near the woods, we were walking and it was like where the woods meets a little neighborhood Mm -hmm. and there's a little wash area. And my son looks over and says, there's a lot of blood over there. And I was like, oh, shoot, is there a dead animal or something horrific that now he just saw? And we all look over. Nothing's there. And I'm like, where are you seeing this? He's like, over there. That's where they died. Absolutely not. Nothing was there. It was just a wash. When you say a wash, what do you mean? Like a an area that would trap water if it rained. Oh, OK. So like a dip. Yeah, we call that like a swale or a gutter. Hmm. 
look, I just, that's always like a wash. What do you mean by that? <laughs> okay, so we have three different forest wooded areas to talk to you about today. And the first is Bennington Triangle. And this caught my attention because it was called the Bennington Triangle. <laughs> and you know, my love for the Bermuda Triangle grows deep. So where it's located is southwestern Vermont. And Vermont is part of the states that comprise the New England region in the northeast of the United States. It's dubbed the Bennington Triangle due to the disappearances in the area, which is similar to the Bermuda Triangle. The term was coined by the author Joseph Citro. And there's a trail, it's called the Long Trail, and it follows the main ridge of the Green Mountains. And part of the Green Mountains in Vermont is called the Gastonbury. And apparently it's cursed grounds and the Native Americans were said to only venture there to bury their dead. Interesting. Yeah. Gastonbury and Somerset were both industrial and logging towns that began to decline in the late 19th century. The lumber industry stripped the mountains of the trees, which made the ground more susceptible to erosion and flooding, which that alone can make it dangerous and unappealing, right? Yeah. So because of that, that's one of the reasons why the town's population began to decline. The town of Glastonbury no longer exists. The mountain does, but like the town itself... I just thought that was really interesting because a lot of what you read talks about Glastonbury, but they're actually talking about the town, not the mountain. Yeah, that's interesting that it's gone. At one point, it was included in Ripley's Believe It or Not, because it was a town of only three residents, and all of which were related. <laughs> one little house, maybe? <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was one little house. It's interesting. After that came out is when they decided to not keep it a town anymore because they were like, there's only three people here. Never mind. That's my kind of town. Yeah. So around the Glastonbury Mountain, it also includes towns of Bennington, Woodford, Shaftesbury, and Somerset. Just to kind of paint a picture of the mountain area, there's a crosswind in the summit of the mountain, so it's pretty easy to get turned around. So why we painted this picture, there's a couple stories that happened in this area. So in sources that we've seen, they talk about Native American legends. In one of the sources that we saw, they talked about there being an Algonquin legend that says somewhere on the mountain, there's an area where if you stepped on the stone, the stone would then open up and swallow whoever stepped on the stone. This is the first time I've ever heard of a rock killing people. Not being thrown, but like a rock killing the person. It's like a Venus flytrap, but a rock. Yeah. I feel like a lot of legends and lore come from a population seeing something and not being able to describe it. So like it could be that something looked like it was a stone, but they actually like fell into a pit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there could be like a really big hole there for whatever reason, or it could be a cave system that like collapsed in some way. And if you stepped on the spot, like the descent, <sighs> the descent, woof. But yeah, it, it's interesting. It's an interesting one. And so Joseph Citro actually refers to this legend also in his book, Vermont Monster Guide. And he describes it as large enough for a human to step on, but once stepped on, the rock would swallow someone. Interesting, for sure. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the occurrences. We're going to start with a few that don't have a specific date tied to them and then move into a timeline. One person who visited who was in this area on Long Trail talked about hearing a train whistle where there was no train. Another person worked in the fire towers and which if you don't know what those are, think of a big building on stilts that exists to see if there's fires so that they can take appropriate action. And so they were working in a fire tower and they were stationed on Glastonbury Mountain with a couple other folks. And they said that he would wake up in the middle of the night and start hysterically laughing. And then other nights he would just wake up screaming. And this was completely uncharacteristic of him. And he had done similar work. So it wasn't like this was like a uniquely stressful situation for him. Yeah. And this didn't happen when he left. It was only when he was there. Yeah. I can't even imagine sleeping and waking up to someone hysterically laughing or screaming. I think I would just die. I would just die right there. You know, I wish I could have said that, but my husband does this thing. It's something where he giggles and says no. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> In his sleep. He's dead ass asleep and he's giggling and saying no. And it is one of the most terrifying things I've ever woken up to. Yeah, that's creepy. Yeah, it wasn't great. I didn't love it. So also, there's multiple Karens through all... Karens? Not Karens. Karens. 
<laughs> which okay so i'm not saying k-a-r-e-n-s i'm saying c-a-i-r-n-s and they're basically they're just man-made piles of stones and a lot of the times it looks like they're kind of layered sometimes around tree trunks Blair witch perhaps but no one knows why they're there or how they got there some think that farmers put them there like as markers but they're up much higher in elevation than the farmers would be using for farmland so it doesn't really make sense but it's just kind of like a weird thing that exists in the woods that doesn't really make sense yeah so let's start our timeline it begins in 1867 so you know it's going to be good so that was the year that there was the first wild man sighting and a lot of times when people talk about wild men they're basically either talking about an average sized man that looks feral or a sasquatch type creature so think one of these but this one was set to expose himself to glastonbury women and to like pull out a gun does sasquatch have a gun i don't know i mean it is america so if there was a place where a sasquatch was going to own a gun this would be it yeah (laughs) but he was said to live in the caves in somerset and that he stopped this behavior after he had been like run out of town so interesting moving on to 1892 So a man named Henry McDowell bludgeoned somebody he knew named John Crowley to death in Fayville, Vermont. And he ran, but was apprehended in Connecticut. When he was arrested, he said that he had heard voices in his head and they wouldn't leave him alone. So rather than prison, he went to an asylum. He escaped the asylum and he hid in a coal railway car to get out of town. And it's rumored that he went to Glastonbury and that he hid in the mountains and that some of what is going to continue to happen was from him. Ooh, okay. Which perhaps, but like timing wise, it doesn't really make sense because the next thing's five years. But after that, it gets to be like decades in between things happening. So he would have been a very old serial killer. Moving on to 1897, a man named John Harbour was hunting in the hills that were just south of Glasenbury. He was 40 years old and his friend and his brother heard him yell that he had been shot right after hearing like a shot. They looked for him, but they couldn't find him despite being able to hear him and he was close enough. So that felt strange already. When they found him, he had died and he was underneath a cedar tree. And it was clear that he was not where he had been shot and that he had either drug himself underneath a tree or had been moved. John's gun was found next to him, loaded. Creepy. What happened unless someone else was there? Exactly. And so for that one, that's five years after Henry McDowell escaped. So that I could actually see being related. Yeah. But so our next strangeness is a 1943 with Carol Herrick. And he was on a hunting trip and he was within 10 miles of the Glastonbury Mountains. And he was on a hunting trip with his cousin, Henry. When he didn't show back up at their campsite around dusk, Henry reported him missing. It had also just started to snow. So the weather wasn't great. The idea that he had just wandered off didn't really make sense. When he was found, his rifle was 70 feet away, leaning against a tree. There were large tracks surrounding his body. And by tracks, I mean footprints. He appeared to have been squeezed to death. And an autopsy showed that he had been squeezed so hard that his ribs broke and then punctured his lungs. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did they describe what kind of animal possibly could do that? Like, could a bear do that? Some people describe the prince as bear-like, but perhaps a bear. I think bears will squeeze. The term bear hug. Yeah, bear hug. But this is one of the most Yeti-like Sasquatch. You just want it to be a fire Yeti so bad. No, not a fire Yeti. It's an American gun-wielding Yeti. Gun Yeti. Gun Yeti. Okay. So one of the reasons that this area is called the Bennington Triangle is because a group of disappearances that were ultimately unresolved. And this is where the the disappearances start. The first one's in 1945. And his name is Mitty Rivers. And he was a mountain guide. He disappeared on November 12th, 1945. It's rumored that he disappeared near Bickford Hollow, which is right where John Harbour was murdered. He was 75 years old at the time of his disappearance, and he was guiding a group to their camp. He got a little bit ahead of them. It sounded like they were all walking together and he just got slightly ahead and then he disappeared. He was near Long Trail and he was very familiar with the area. 300 volunteers and police searched the area for eight days and they never found him. All that was found was a rifle cartridge that matched the type of rifle that he had carried. And folks did think that something happened to him because he was so skilled as a woodsman and would have been able to survive in the woods for long enough to find his way back to town or to be found by the search parties. 
Yeah. The idea of a 75-year-old like mountain tour guide, I love this. <laughs> That's what I want to be doing when I'm 75. It's like trekking through the mountains. Well, the creepy thing is, is all of these people went in that area and not, not only didn't find him, but they never found a body either. Nothing. Yeah. Another interesting wrinkle in this that you'll find is the disparity in ages. Like it's not just one age group of people that goes missing. It's kind of all over the place. Yeah. Now, the most, I would say, famous disappearance from this area was in 1946, and her name was Paula Weldon. She was an 18-year-old college student who was described by her roommate as being in a funk the day that she disappeared. And it happened on December 1st, 1946, and she was last seen wearing a red coat. And that day, she had went for a walk and never came back. From that day forward, no one ever saw her again. After she had disappeared, a driver had come forward saying that they had picked up a young woman matching her description, but that was never confirmed. Also, several witnesses did see her go into the woods. There was an older couple that saw her on one of the trails, and they said that she had made a turn and then disappeared from Long Trail. The following Monday, she never showed for class. She was reported missing. She vanished with no trace. Nothing was ever found. No idea where she was. On this one, thousands of people searched, and it included community residents, other college students, scout troops, police, police from neighboring states. There was even aircraft surveillance at one time. So this is the strangest reward I've ever heard of. It was 5000 if she was found alive, but only 2000 if she was found dead. This was also on her missing persons flyer. I hadn't ever heard of that, but in my brain, that's an incentive for her to be brought back if she was taken. Like, that's what I think about it. It's just in my brain. It's like, oh, you'll get money either way, but bring her back alive because that's what we want. Yeah. There were clairvoyants that also helped with the search. Nothing came about that either. Police brought in folks for polygraphs too, which I thought was interesting because we just talked about it two episodes ago. And it was relatively new at the time that they were doing it. Newspapers were really hungry for the story too. So they even hired private detectives to go and investigate. So it was a ton of people looking for this girl. The Vermont State Police was formed after folks criticized the way that her search was conducted. And in one article, it said weaknesses of the efforts by state and local authorities to find her. And then that ultimately formed the Vermont State Police, which I found that really interesting. Yeah, I, that's kind of crazy to think that they didn't have a state police before that. Like, what was it just like somebody in the mayor's office that's like, get the fellas together. That doesn't seem safe. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it said this could have contributed to the formation of the Vermont State Police. It could be. So there's a couple theories as to what happened. Some people thought maybe she ran away with a boyfriend. Others believed, of course, it was aliens. Always. Some other people thought maybe it was suicide. But either way, I guess aside from the aliens, you would think that a trace of her would have been found later on. Yeah, especially if it was suicide. Yeah. So her case was the inspiration for a novel later on. It's called Hangsaman. Hopefully I'm saying that right. By Shirley Jackson. And interestingly, Shirley Jackson's husband, Stanley Egger Hyman, worked at Bennington College when Paula disappeared. Hmm. Isn't that weird? Yeah. But yeah, that one's probably the most famous one out of the disappearances because it had so much media attention. And again, nothing was ever found. No trace of her. So in 1949, there was a couple instances of things happening. The first story of 1949 is three hunters allegedly went missing. However, there's not much evidence to support this one. The second one was the disappearance of James E. Tedford, and it was exactly three years after Paula's disappearance. This one was really weird. He boarded a bus in St. Albans, and when the bus reached Bennington, he was no longer on the bus and there was no sign of him. I believe his items that he brought on the bus were still on the bus too. There is no evidence to support that he went missing in or near the Bennington Triangle, but he was just gone. He was one of only 14 passengers that were going to Bennington. There was a bus timetable on the seat where he was sitting. His family didn't know he was missing until the soldier's home he lived at called them to see when he'd be returning. And people were interviewed weeks after his disappearance, so they didn't really remember much. Fred remembered him seeing him on the bus at Burlington. He was also on the bus at the same time and thought maybe he had possibly gotten off there. No one remembers seeing him get off and he didn't get off at Bennington either. 
So no one knows where he disappeared to. And I I can understand that if people weren't interviewed till weeks later, you're not going to remember someone you sat next to on the bus weeks later. Yeah. But also his stuff was still there. And this one, again, no trace of him. No body was ever found. He was never found. Yeah. This one I find just a little bit more unsettling because it seems like it's more with civilization. Yeah. And then we have two more that happened in 1950. The first one was Paul Jepson. This one makes me sad. Yeah. His disappearance happened on October 12th, 1950. He was only eight years old at the time. He was playing in the bed of a truck when his mom went to go do some work with their pigs. He was last seen wearing red. The reason I bring this up is because some people say, well, Paul and Paula were both wearing red. So you shouldn't wear red to Glastonbury. Hmm. Sure. But anyways, when his mom came back to the truck, he was no longer there. They used dogs to try to track his scent, but they lost his scent once they reached the highway. Each area was searched by two different groups just to make sure no one missed anything. The Coast Guard used planes to search. After the search ended, his father said that he had been talking about visiting the mountains for a few days before his disappearance. That fact, as I read it in like multiple sources, I found that to be one of the most unsettling parts of this is that it was like nearby and I don't have children. I don't understand at what age is this like this would be a weird thing. But the idea of like a little little kid being like, ah, the mountains, the mountains are calling to me. That makes me highly unsettled. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, well, eight. He has likes and places he likes to go to. So if it's something that he's done with his family prior, I don't think that that's out of the ordinary for him to want to go to the mountains again. The way that I saw it in some articles, it was like they were calling to him. That's weird. So some people think that maybe he was abducted. Some believe that maybe he was killed and then fed to the pigs. Some people believe the parents might have murdered him. There was a ton of different theories, but ultimately nothing was ever found. The last one, this one does have a little bit of a resolution, but not everything you'd want to know. Her name was Frida Langer, and she went missing on October 28, 1950. She was camping with her family near Glastonbury Mountain. She was 53 years old at the time. Her and her cousin Herbert went for a hike. And about 100 yards into their walk from their campsite, Frida slipped and fell into a stream. So, of course, she's soaking wet. She asks her cousin, hey, can you wait here for me? I'm just going to run back real quick and change and then I'll join you. She never returns. So Herbert goes to the camp to check on her. She had never made it back to the camp. She was a very experienced woodswoman. Her family, who was at the camp, never saw her. Police, soldiers, firefighters, and volunteers, around 400 people, searched for her by foot and also aircraft, but they never found anything. Now, this is what makes hers a little bit different. In May of 1951, near the Somerset Reservoir, her body was found. However, it was too badly decomposed to determine the cause of death. I don't like that at all. No. So all of these are similar in a way, but this is the only one that a body was ever found. Yeah. And so there's a few different theories, and we'll talk about where we land on the theories after I talk about them. So the first is from a journalist and UFOlogist named John A. Keel, and he suggests that there's basically doorways or vortexes to another world that are called window areas, and that one of these exists in Glastonbury Mountain. An option no vortex a vortex with a bad bouncer another theory there have been serial killers in the woods that have taken people and they've been nicknamed the bennington ripper the mad murderer of long trail but there's no evidence to prove this it's just wild speculation which i don't love and the third is my favorite it's that there's a bigfoot or sasquatch type creature in the woods and so there have been sightings of this creature and they call it the Bennington Monster. That might be what I start calling my husband. And the sightings of the Bennington Monster began in the 19th century. He's described like a Sasquatch. So six to eight feet tall, hair, head to toe, stocky. And then per the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, there have been multiple Bigfoot sightings in Vermont. The first noted sighting goes like this. There's a stagecoach of passengers who's traveling near Glastonbury and they had to stop because the road had flooded. Which makes sense because what we talked about earlier, less trees, less soil structure, more flooding. And so the driver notices that in the mud, there's these giant footprints that are like way too big to be a human. And is like, hmm, that's strange. And that the passengers inside the stagecoach, I think we're about to take like step out for a moment. And when they were just about to get out, a large creature rushed the stagecoach and kind of like knocked it a few times then knocked it over. 
Passengers reported hearing a roar and seeing its glowing eyes. Oh my God, what a ride. Can you imagine being on the stagecoach and just watching all of this unfold? It would be a no from me. I don't like it. So can I just tell you now that I'm just now like thinking of this? You mentioned Beauty and the Beast earlier. Yeah. He was six to eight foot tall, hair head to toe. I'm sorry. Was the Beast a motherfucking Sasquatch? Yeah. I need Beauty and the Beast to be a Sasquatch. Beauty and the Bigfoot. Someone make that. Beauty and the Sasquatch. Okay. But so in 2003, a man named Ray Dufresne saw a, quote, big black thing by the road. Amanda, when I say black thing near the road, what do you think of? Pillow. (laughs) And by pillow, do you mean Vans? Vans Hardware. Yeah. I think of him immediately. Vans Hardware and his black fluffy creature. But their black fluffy creature was six feet tall. And it was hairy from head to toe. And there was also other sightings around this time. So there have been some Sasquatch rumbles in Vermont that support the theory that perhaps a Sasquatch is at fault. Okay. Sure. Sure. I see no more evidence here than I see in Ditloff for it to be a Yeti and or fire Yeti. No fire Yetis. No gun Sasquatches. I don't think that they're all related, to be honest. I don't either those disappearances i think they're just individual weird things now i don't know especially the ones that were in the forest with other people yes how someone could disappear like that i could see a kid running away and getting lost and something happening yep i can see the others but it's just weird i don't know i don't think it's a serial killer though i also don't think it's a serial killer i i do think that they're individual like completely individual i do see how paula that's very peculiar like just very strange to me her disappearance as is Frida's to me because there was people on either ends of the path she was on that's extra strange because when you're thinking of that distance if something had got her in that path it's like earshot so I think you would have heard her scream which makes me think it wasn't anything nefarious it was like she got turned around maybe she fell again like completely possible something happened it's weird though that her body was found while the others weren't so hers i feel like was maybe someone did get her and murder her i mean it was almost like six-ish months later that her body was found yeah but i mean they also weren't looking near that reservoir probably and all of the searches that i saw they were done within a month like they weren't searching for months and months and months on end it was like they looked for a few days and then they stopped. Yeah. So if she could have been in the woods lost that entire time. That's true. She could have been knocked out. Yeah. You know, so people are calling for her and she can't hear them. Or say she like wandered and just, I mean, if it was me, I would just keep walking thinking like, I'm going to find something. I'm going to find something. I'm going to find something. And then in my head, say this is you, right? You're on a hike with someone this is like pure conjecture by the way you're on a hike with someone you like mess up your clothes and you're like i gotta go back and change okay the only reason i wouldn't want that other person to come back with me would be if i had a pack and they had a pack and we didn't want to have to carry it back back and forth Mm -hmm. and i'm like hey like hold my water and everything i'm gonna just run back and change yeah and then she gets turned around and she's nothing so then like if she's drinking like river water she can get very sick very quickly so if she has no provisions, because I thought it was kind of strange that she wasn't like, let's go back really quick, because I would just go back with the person rather than like waiting back and forth. And like, there's no reason for me to stay here, like in the middle of the woods. Right. Unless something heavy. No, that makes sense. So now we are going to leave this triangle for a Romanian triangle, and it's called Hoya Bashu. And I just like saying it. Same. So it's outside of Cluj in Romania which technically would be part of Transylvania. This forest, when you look it up, Hoyabashu, and you keep saying it, it, no joke, looks like every stock photo when you type in creepy forest. Yeah, it really does. It's haunting looking. Mm-hmm. It, it looks awesome. <laughs> so it's said to have been named after a shepherd who had gone missing in that forest, and the shepherd went missing with a flock of 200 sheep. You know a place is going to be creepy and spooky if it's named after a person who went missing in it. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing good's going to come after this. (laughs) No, you're right. You're right. So this area is coined the Romanian Triangle, similar to the Bermuda Triangle. It spans 729 acres, and it's known for being one of the most haunted forests in the world. I would like to note that there are guided tours available. 
both during the day and at night. Thank you. You're welcome. Let's go. No. <laughs> Actually, I say no, but I would be a daytime tour. Like for sure, Z is a daytime tour. That's boring. Nighttime tour for sure. First daytime, <laughs> then nighttime. Then come back. Okay. A lot of walking. Yeah. It's going to be a big day. So Ghost Adventures did film an investigation at this forest. Also, Destination Truth did an episode on it. So let's talk a little bit about what folks claim has happened in the forest. This is a pretty extensive list. So there are literally thousands of reports of paranormal activity. The first kind is basically light anomalies like orbs or flashes of light or just like random errant lights that don't make sense. People have tested the lights. They've like tried to use a heat detector to see if it picked up any heat signatures and it doesn't pick up heat signatures from the light, which is interesting. Yeah. Folks report seeing ghosts, ectoclasms, and then one person reported seeing a ghost that was dressed in like typical Romanian garb, which is interesting. There's also a general feeling of being watched, which we talked about a little bit before. There's also a loss of time. So it'll feel like you've been there a couple of minutes, but hours may have gone by. Lots of reports of electronics malfunctioning or just not working all together. We're like ticking off everything that is scary about the woods to Amanda and I. So there's also various different sounds that people have reported hearing, including cuckoo clock sounds. Sounds like exploding tires or the whistle of a deflating balloon. Also, just screams, which gotta love that. And then I saw like, there's like this ever-present like chicken chirping sound. But when I think of like a chicken sound, it's more like a balk. You know, like a balk balk, not like a bird chirp. Also, giggling and whispering. That's what gets me. The giggling and the whispering. I don't like it. No, 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 no. But I want to go there. Yeah, I mean, for sure. So visitors also report feeling physical weirdness, like nausea, lightheadedness, spikes in anxiety. Some people have even reported rashes and fever. Many folks believe that over a thousand people have disappeared over the years, but I haven't seen even a single name of a person who went missing. Did you? I didn't find specific disappearances. They just like lumped them together and they're like over the years. So I don't know. I'm like, what does that mean? But also, I mean, we're not looking at Romanian sources because that's not a language we speak. So it could be that that's just not something we see in our language. But I, I also wonder if part of this is like local lore, right? Because as you mentioned before, it is a pretty common kind of like folklore, like stay out of the woods kind of fable situation. So I could see where this started as a fable and then it kind of took off. But so one of the most interesting stories is of a five-year-old girl who went into the forest and disappeared. Five years later, she came out of the forest, same age, same clothes. She was completely unchanged. And it was like, for her, it was like minutes had gone by. It's creepy. That's a creepy story. That That's a movie. That's for sure a movie. So a writer of one of the articles, his name was Alex. He had some strange run-ins with the forest. He actually runs the Hoyabashu Project. And he's heard strange hoof noises while trying to sleep. And he said it sounded like a large deer or horse. But then when he'd go to investigate the noise, it would stop. So at one point, he slept in a hammock and he had a bat smash into his face. Probably not a fun time. That sounds like a really unrestful sleep. Probably. Although I'm very excited that we got a bat house now in our backyard and I'm waiting for all the bats to move in. The bats have moved into my hedge. It's cute. But do you know how I realized this? We have a fence that is right next to the inside of the hedge. So it's like I'm like opening the fence and I'm like, it's like squeak, 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 squeak. And I was like, ah, there's bats, <laughs> which I'm not like inherently afraid of them. But when you hear nature next to your face, when you're not expecting it in the dark, it's not pleasant. But they're cute and they eat bugs. Look, I love them. Maybe I need a house bat. Need a house bat. Yeah. All right. So anyways, he also talked about a man that once went crazy thinking he met a demon and talked about other strange occurrences. Alex said the forest is only haunted if you bring your own ghosts. Weird. So you bring haunted dolls to the woods? Apparently. Or Furbies. Or Furbies. Oh my God. How amazing would it be, Amanda? You and I go there. We bring Furbies with us. We line the woods with Furbies. Here's what we need to do. We need to contact Hasbro. We need to contract with them for a special edition, True Creeps Furbies. And then we take these Furbies and we disperse them throughout the world. And these are our monuments. 
We're still on our monuments. We'll never not be. So in this forest, trees grow very strangely. Some of them grow in what looks like a spiral and they're always clockwise. I don't like that. It looks really cool though. So some people enter the forest and they get weird feelings while others enjoy being there. There's a circular clearing where nothing grows and the soil apparently has nothing wrong with it. According to some scientists, just nothing grows. People believe it's a portal to another world. I don't like that. And this is also very similar to what we'll be covering next, and it's called the Devil's Tramping Ground. So the next couple events took place in the 60s. Alexandru Dift, a biologist, took photos of a flying disc object in the sky. The next experience happened with Emil Barnera, and him, his girlfriend, and a couple friends were walking in the forest on August 18, 1968. Emil was 45 years old at the time. He was a construction technician, and he'd also been an officer in the army, so he was known for his integrity. Weather was very good that day. Around 1.23 p.m., Emil was called over by his girlfriend. He was getting wood for the campfire, and she called him over to look at something. Above the clearing, there was a round object in the sky, and it had a metallic appearance, and it reflected sunlight. Hmm. It flew above the woods without noise. Luckily, Emil had his camera with him, so he was able to capture a couple photos. The object accelerated and then it went up. A total of four photos were taken. However, only three were ever shared because the last one had his friends in it and they did not want to be identified. The event took place in about two minutes. Once he had filled up his roll of film, he developed the photos. He ended up showing the photos to a Romanian engineer who was very interested in UFOs. He made the calculations and estimated the altitudes, the size of the object. He also wrote and published an investigation on the case. Then they sent the pictures to the state news agency. One of the photos appeared in a couple newspapers in September of 1968. The director of the observatory in Cluj said that it must have been either a mystification or some weather balloons photographed in particular circumstances. And he said, quote, the witness was an ignorant illiterate, undoubtedly an alcoholic, and the photos were faked. My thing is, is like, say less. Because you're trying too hard to discredit this person, right? These don't look real is sufficient. Like, you don't need to go that far, my dude. Right, right. Investigation showed that there was no blimps, no weather balloons, nothing present at the time that this had taken place. Two different parties investigated, and they investigated if the negatives had been tampered with. They both confirmed that no, they had not been tampered with. The film was also examined by a commercial photo lab, and they concluded that there was no traces of falsification. Makes me nervous. You know I don't like aliens. <laughs> Barnia and his girlfriend were also interviewed on TV. And again, three out of the four photos were then published in various press releases. So a Romanian UFOologist slash author, Ian Hobana, did his own investigation and laid out a bunch of details, including the direction it went up, the temperature of the day, exactly where it went and how it left. He explained that Barnia had nothing to gain financially by allowing these photos to be published. And you think of it like in today's world, if you took a really cool photo, you could make money off of yeah. it. Yeah. You could profit in many different ways. This wasn't the case for him. So he said, like, there's no reason to do a hoax. When you look at these photos, though, it almost looks like, think of like your contact lens in the sky. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. I was looking at it and I was like, this looks familiar. And then I saw your note and I was like, absolutely, that is what it looks like. Yeah. I'm not saying it doesn't look like a saucer, but it also kind of looks like an object that was tiny on the lens, like water, to make that kind of shape. It's very weird. Yeah. And we'll put the photos on our everything, but you can tell us what you guys think too. <laughs> it's just a weird forest altogether. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So there is a professor named Adrian Patrut, and he's a chemist, and he met and worked with Alexandru Dift. So he has several experiences that he talks about, all of which I find fascinating and terrifying at the same time. And so I'm going to go in order. So the first was in 1975. It was Jan in January. He had photographed ruins that were in the center of the forest. And he was there with friends and they'd taken hundreds of photos of the ruins, of his friends, of his friends with the ruins. And then he came back two weeks later and the ruins were gone. No one else remembered the ruins. And then the photos that had the ruins in them vanished. Did he dream that he did this? 
I don't think so because I believe he had the photos of his friends and during that trip still. It was the photos that had the ruins in them that disappeared. It sounds kind of like a Mandela effect to me, right? And when you say place in the center of the forest, that makes me think of the clearing there that where nothing would grow. So in 1989, he was in the forest with some of his students and they were at the edge of the forest inside it, though. And they were looking at Cluj. And just from their vantage point, it was a really kind of beautiful view of where they could kind of see the whole city. And so they're all kind of staring there looking. And I guess they noticed that one of the students is like acting kind of strange and she is in like a trance. She stands there for an hour, completely silent, in a trance, staring forward. When she finally comes out of her trance, she said that she had seen Cluj past and future. And that for the past hour, she had been walking around the city. She could recount how the city had looked decades before and how it would look in the future. When they went to get back on the bus, she pulled out money to pay and she had currency from another time in her pocket. That one gives me chills. That's a really cool story. Yeah, I sent Amanda that when we were like doing research and she's like, what? Like that one just gets me. So another time in 2000, Petrut was visiting with another scientist that was born in Cluj. And while they were in the forest, the treetops started dripping sap all the way to the tree trunks. And I didn't know this before, but the forest is actually a relatively dry forest because you'll notice we haven't talked about any streams or anything like that. And so it was very strange to see them dripping a liquid, specifically sap. They came back the next day and there was no sap anywhere. And there was no signs that the trees had been dripping sap. Now, have you ever seen a tree that's dripped sap? Like what it looks like? Kind of like crusts. So like it would be there. Yeah, yeah weird. So 2008, he's in a very particular part of the forest. And as you can tell, right, he's going there all the time. So he's really familiar with it. And you as familiar as one can be with a spooky forest. And so goes to a particular part of the forest, films the trees, people near the trees, etc. He comes back three weeks later and the same trees that had been normal on his previous trip were now twisted and turned. That's weird. The very same trees. Like, Comparing footage, it's like they were straight and then they were like curly. Some of the trees were like 29 feet tall. Big trees. Well, you can't really manipulate wood like that. No, which is very strange. Like you could over time make a tree grow in a certain direction by putting an object there. Yeah, yeah. But not overnight, right? It's not gummy. And so another time he was in the forest and also he generally noted that his cameras worked kind of strange in the forest. He would test them before he went into the forest to make sure that they were functioning properly. They would get into the forest and they would start acting strange. One of the instances that he had, he had footage on one recording, both in and outside of the forest. And the recordings that were inside the forest were 10 times slower, although he did not change any settings. That's weird. Yeah. So a couple theories as to what is going on in this forest. Some think it's because of the UFO activity. Others think it's because of a portal to the other world. And Lore says that Romanian peasants were murdered there and that they now haunt the forest. Very specific. And on this one, I feel like this is the only time where I'm like, that seems almost like a weird portal, right? Like the the story you told. This one does. Yeah. And the the tree is being weird. It just sounds like just a creepy place in general where anything can happen. This feels like um kind of Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. All right. Our last one is the Devil's Tramping Ground. And I do want to say we had to rule out a bunch of forests. Oh, my God. We really did. There's so many creepy forests out there. Yeah. I mean, please expect more episodes on creepy forests. <laughs> So this one's located in Chatham County, North Carolina, and this is in the southeast of the U.S. for those outside the U.S. listening. It's located on land owned by the Dowd family. So there's a center that's two feet wide, but it's 14 feet in diameter. So Aviator Brewing Company has a beer named after it. Love that. (laughs) Fun fact of today. So what happened there? The legend says that people think that it's, quote unquote, the devil's playground and that he comes up one path, stomps around the circle to kill everything and then leaves down the second path. Makes sense. Yeah, as the devil does. I find this to be one of the most interesting of the three just because people are like, oh, it's the devil. Like, that's what the devil does. I'm like, I know that people have a lot of ideas on like what Satan does or does not do. But do you think that like of the corruption that he's apparently doing in the world that this is what he cares about? Does he have time to run around and stomp in a circle and run off? Maybe it's where he has his daily hissy fit. Daily hissy fits are very important to your mental health. 
that explains it. So the circle has been barren for over 300 years. Some speculate that the circle predates the American Revolution. An 1882 article says that local indigenous populations had like stories about dreading the place. A man born in 1851 said that his grandfather, that's many years before, said that the spot looked unchanged from when he had seen it decades earlier. There's also an article that talks about folks who were almost 100 remembered the area and the legends about it as early as the 1780s. Woof. So old. Per the lore, if anything is planted in the circle, it dies very quickly. If an object is placed inside in the morning, it'll look like it's been tossed out of the circle. So it's not just like at the edge, it looks like it's been thrown out. Mm -hmm. If a person falls asleep in the circle, they will wake up outside of it. Dogs don't want to go near it. And on roadtrippers.com, Greg says to bring a compass because it will spin wildly. He also says some people feel sick when they stand in the middle of it. One visitor, Jennifer Lawson, took a photo with her girlfriend there. And when they looked at the photo, the tree behind them had an opening. I looked on the internet to find Jennifer Lawson because I want to see this photo. Yeah. But that's so common of a name that I couldn't find Jennifer Lawson from North Carolina. And I was very sad. So there's also a journalist named Ethan Feinsilver. And he spent the night there. He actually went with one of his friends and their dogs. And they (laughs) pitched their tent in the middle of the circle. And he said that nothing happened. He even said that there's actually some crabgrass growing on it, despite people saying that there's nothing living there. But I also see pictures where that's seriously not the case. It's an empty circle. And he did not wake up outside of it. in the morning after sleeping there (laughs) and that his dogs didn't seem concerned about the circle at all well maybe it wasn't active at that time maybe it wasn't always trust your dog though yeah always trust dogs know what's up and so here the soil has been tested multiple times the first time it was tested was in the 1940s then again the late 90s and again in the 2000s each test showed that there was no reason that things shouldn't grow much like the one in romania the last test interestingly even shows that the soil inside the circle is more fertile than the soil outside the circle that's really weird yeah they credit that to like people having bonfires that like damage the soil nearby and things growing and depleting like the nutrients in the soil and the theories here are satan and ufos that's what we've got of course the only things it could be (laughs) because there was one scientist that like looked at the soil and he was like oh you know it's kind of common that there might be a higher concentration of salt or copper in the soil and that would cause this and when he tested it he was like nope that's not the case yeah that's weird and like we said earlier there are a bunch more creepy forests and odd stories so we do plan plan on continuing to cover a couple creepy forests in the future. If there's any particular woods that you find fascinating or you've got a really cool creepy story to share, let us know. We may include it in one of the future episodes. As a reminder, if you head to www.truecreeps.com, you can click the link to our merch and you can see all of our amazing goods. Both of us have ordered shirts. We have all kinds of stuff on there, honestly. Yeah. There's phone cases. Notebooks. Love a good notebook. Can't have enough of those. Yeah. We have stickers on there for your water bottle. If you have some time and want to leave us a review on iTunes, you can also score yourself a free sticker if you email us a screenshot to truecreepspod at gmail.com. Yeah. We appreciate all of you guys listening. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps. 